Well, it's great to be with you guys this weekend. I've uh, had a wonderful time, and uh, I have to tell you this morning, I met several of, uh, of you women who've uh, let your husbands be with us, and, and every one of you, it was amazing. I said things like, you know, so glad and thankful that you let your husband be with us and take, you, take him away from you for the weekend, and not one of you, not one of you even seemed to indicate it was a problem whatsoever. In fact, several of you said, no, thank you for taking them. And we had a really great time, and, and uh, I don't know if you saw me kind of hobbling up here. I did not get injured this weekend, uh, even though we, we did Newspaper Ninja and Dodgeball, bowling. I didn't even get injured playing cornhole. All right? I, I got injured the night before, and my wife had told me, don't play softball, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. My wife is, is, is a wonderful woman, but she wants me to wear a helmet when I play softball with my friends. And I refused to do it, and I went ahead and played anyway, and, and wouldn't you know, I'm avoiding a collision with one of the other outfielders, and I, and I roll my ankle. And so after the, the game, my wife is just nagging me and saying, I told you you shouldn't have played, and, I, and it just dawned on me. I said, you know what, Debbie, I just, I just realized why I got hurt, and I seem to get hurt every single time you're here watching me. It's because I'm trying to impress you. We've been married almost 15 years, but I'm still trying to show you what kind of man I really am. She said, well, I would be impressed if you didn't get hurt so easily. (laughs) And this morning I I, I asked uh, Pastor Mike if it was okay to talk about something a little bit controversial. He says, oh yeah, we do that all the time here. And so this morning I want to talk about religion, sex, and politics. It's supposed to be impolite to talk about even one of them because it's so divisive. So I thought we'd talk about all three. (laughs) But actually what I want us to talk about is It's important as people who follow Jesus to have strong convictions, even strong convictions on these issues that are incredibly controversial. But what I want to talk about is the importance of not allowing our strong convictions to become a litmus test for relationship. That it's actually possible, in fact, we're called by God to love people with whom we disagree, people with whom we differ, even people that we dislike. And I think sometimes we, we miss sight of this, and, and, it's, and it's because we don't sometimes understand exactly what it means to be the church. A friend of mine on his website posted this question. I guess everybody has a website now, right? And on his website, he posted this question. If Jesus were walking in the flesh on earth today, would he go to church? And several people commented, right? Some people said, absolutely, he would go to church and he would turn over the tables, right? He'd be angry. And other people said, there's no way Jesus would go to church because it's just so bad and lost its, its way and he would be out in nature communing with God and bringing people into nature. My favorite response was someone who said, well, of course Jesus would be at church. His mom would make him. <laughs> but you see, even in this question, I think there's a, a misunderstanding. You see, the church is not a... A place. In fact, the church isn't a place to meet the needs of of Christians. You see, the church is the people who follow Jesus meeting the needs of the world. That we, when we are transformed by God, are actually sent out to be His ambassadors, His missionaries, His messengers. That God's love is so powerful that it changes our lives and bubbles over into the lives of the people around us, even those with whom we overlook or disagree 
Now we're in northwest Arkansas, and, I, and I, I actually spent most of my life from kindergarten through college in Texas. Don't hold that against me. But I, I, I know what it's like to live in a place where everybody says the right thing. But underneath, you know that there are many people that God is, is so far away. God is someone that they hate. Or God is somebody that they pretend to know on Sundays. I, I want us to uh, look at the book of Jonah. Because I think Jonah seems to represent in many ways what I think the world seems to think of those of us who follow Jesus. You see, Jonah was, uh, I guess the nicest way to say it, a reluctant missionary. And sometimes, too often as believers, people see us and they know what we're against, but they don't know what we're for or who we're for. And so as a result, when there is a need to be met, they don't think to go to the people called the church because they see the church as too exclusive and judgmental rather than who we're called to be, which is loving and authentic. So if you have a, the Bible with you, turn to Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Here is this moment where Jonah was asked by God, I want you to be a messenger. I want you to go to these people of Nineveh. But Jonah did the exact opposite. And it's a very simple reason why he hated the people of Nineveh. He did not want to see them turn to God. And so even though God was saying, go and preach against it, their wickedness is apparent, Jonah knew in the back of his mind that if he were to go, it's actually possible that they might change their mind. They might actually turn and follow after God. And he did not want to see that happen because he disagreed with the people of Nineveh. He disagreed with their ideas on religion and morality and politics. He wanted to see them destroyed. Now, it seems a little bit harsh, but I wonder how many of us see people that disagree with us as our enemies rather than seeing them as the people that we are to love and seeing the enemy as our enemy. So he runs off and he jumps on a ship and starts going in the opposite direction. And there's a great wind and a storm that comes. And Jonah knows it's his fault. He realizes this is because I'm running away from God. And, and in that moment, he could have said, you know what, take me back. I've got to go to Nineveh. But you know what he did? He said, throw me overboard and the winds will stop. Jonah would rather have died, drowned right there, than go back to where he was supposed to go. And so these really kind, seafaring people picked him up and threw him over. <laughs> whatever you ask, whatever it takes. And the Scriptures tell us as he sank deeper and deeper that the seaweed began to cover him. He was about to drown when miraculously a giant fish came and swallowed him up. This moment, he was spared by a giant fish. This miraculous moment. And you would think in that moment, in that belly of that giant fish, Jonah would say, okay, now, I didn't want to go back during the storm, but now that I'm inside of this fish, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. But it took him three days to come to that conclusion. Three days. And if you can imagine, for three days, being able to prepare your sermon, 
in the belly of a fish? That's a long time to prepare a sermon. Pastor Mike probably takes much longer than that. I'm not sure. But for three days in the belly of a fish, in this miraculous moment, he had a chance to prepare the greatest message of his life. And as he asked God to forgive him and said, okay, I'll finally go, the whale spat him up onto the land and he goes and he preaches one of the most powerful messages in the entire Scripture. Look what he says in chapter 3. Verse 4 and 5. One of the greatest sermons of all time. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's it. That is a short message, isn't it? That is as powerful as it can get. Because look what happens. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. In this moment, Jonah saw 60,000 people turn to follow after the God who sent him. And rather than being excited, rather than being relieved after this horrific journey, in verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. Verse 1, chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow, and this is one of our heroes in the Scriptures. He is upset. Once again, he's suicidal. God, I would rather be struck down than to see my enemies following you. And I just knew this about you, God. This is what I hate about you. You love wicked people. I hate that. And Jonah may not seem, may seem so far away from us, but how many times do we find ourselves as just all of a sudden thinking that we deserve the blessings that we receive? Thinking that everything that we have is, is, is what we deserve, and when we don't have even that, we deserve more. When really, everything that we have is a gift from God. But the catch is that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We have been loved by God to love other people. And so here in this moment, we discover that that Jonah was upset because God was so loving. I wonder, are there moments in your life when you limit who God loves? And the way that we act at work, at school, we... We limit in our mind. You know, God's love doesn't go quite that far. When Debbie and I were in Seattle, we were a part of a church plant, and it was our first big night, big youth event. And we'd been pr- pr- praying and planning, and here it was, the night of Youth Explosion 94. Doesn't that sound like a great event? Don't you want to just go back in a time capsule to experience Youth Explosion 94? Well, the seven of us... We're preparing and planning and that night came and not one teenager showed up. Not even one. I was so embarrassed and so discouraged. And 
And I tried to think through what we should do. And I thought, started making excuses. Maybe the teenagers forgot it was tonight. Maybe some of them are at the bottom of the hill needing a ride. You know, just trying to figure out things. And then I decided, you know what? Okay, a couple of us need to stay here. And a couple of us need to just get in our car and just drive around and look for teenagers. Right? There's got to be some of them out there somewhere. And I get in the car. And honestly, my first thought was, I'm just driving back to the apartment and never coming back. <laughs> but my wife was there. So I eventually was going to have to go back. So I decided to just keep driving around until I found a teenager. And at the bottom of the hill, there was a 14, 15-year-old African-American kid playing basketball. So I go up to him, and, and I pulled this old promoter's trick. I said, hey, did you hear about Youth Explosion 94? Thinking he would say, no, I didn't. It sounds amazing. Let me come with you, right? He didn't say that. He said, no, I haven't. I said, what's well, happening right now? It's going to be great. You'll love it. Come on, get in. And then he kind of looked over at his bicycle. And I read his mind. I said, oh, don't worry. You don't have to ride your bicycle up the hill. In fact, I grabbed his bike and I put it in the trunk of my car. And I said, come on, get in. And so he did. And we started driving up the hill and I introduced myself. I said, my name is Eric. What's your name? And he looked at me and he said, my name is Saeed Abdu. I thought, that's an unusual name. People have unusual names nowadays, right? When, when we were in Lamaze class, all the little kids were being born and one little girl was born. Her name was Fiona Maeve. Right? That's unusual. Another little boy was born. His name was Planet Moses Boniface Canalis. Right? That's unusual. His parents call him Moses. I call him Pimo. And then our son, when we named our son, we thought it was so unique. We named him Caleb Michael, Courageous Messenger. But my wife insisted we included her maiden name. So his name is Caleb Michael Ellis Bryant. So his name means Courageous Messenger in a Field. So I'd never heard Saeed Abdu, and so I began to talk to him a little bit and discovered that Saeed was from Eritrea, a country next to Ethiopia. And I also found out that Saeed was a Muslim. And I have to tell you, as I was driving up that hill, thinking, of all the kids I could have picked up in Seattle, I picked up Saeed, a Muslim kid, right? So with no teenagers at this event, we now had one, and he was a Muslim. So I drove into the parking lot, and one other teenager had arrived with her dad. So I got really excited. Youth Explosion 94 was on, right? <laughs> and that night we played games, and we had snacks, and I have to tell you, I ate a lot of cupcakes that night, right? Just trying to make it look like more people were there, right? And we had a great time, and one of the most amazing things happened. For the next four years, Saeed continued to come to the youth group on Wednesday nights, even as he'd go to the mosque on Fridays. And rather than debating him about Islam, I discovered I knew more about Islam than he did. He was just a Muslim because his parents were Muslim. Sound familiar? And so over the next four years, what was amazing is Saeed not only continued to come, he brought more friends to youth group than anyone else in our youth group. And although Saeed never decided to follow Christ, I know that he knows that God loves him and is pursuing him. And he knows when that moment comes in his life that he's ready to do so, he'll know how to do it. But some of his friends did decide to follow Jesus. And I asked him at the end of those four years, just before we moved to Los Angeles, I said, you know, Saeed, I have to ask you. I'm just so curious. Why did you keep coming to youth group? And why did you bring so many friends? And he looked at me. I'll never forget his answer. He said, well, it's because you were my first friend. It was like he was saying that because I looked different than everybody else, no one wanted to spend time with me. 
And I'm an immigrant. No one likes to spend time with people who are foreign to this country. And I'm poor. I live in a house with an apartment with 12 of us. People don't usually like to spend time with people who are poor. You are my first friend. And I said to him, just, well, why did you bring so many people? And inside, I just had to acknowledge how embarrassed I was. If I had known he was a Muslim, I never would have even invited him. Because I was so desperate, I, I, I didn't even think to ask, are you a Muslim? <laughs> when I started talking to him. But he said, well, you, the reason I brought my, so many friends was because they too were lonely and they too needed a friend. And I knew that you would take care of them. I felt so convicted. If only I was more desperate more often. And then I said, well, Saeed, I have to even ask you, why did you even come that first night? And a big smile came across his face. He said, I thought you were kidnapping me. <laughs> my English wasn't very good. I, I, you picked up your bi- my bike and put it in your car. Now, to grow your youth group, I would not recommend kidnapping Muslims. But I would recommend befriending one. And one of the things that I've discovered is that too often our churches end up acting like if you believe like us, then you can become like us and belong to us. When really we need to flip things around, that it's okay to belong to us even before you start becoming like us and even before you believe as we do, that Jesus is God. And I have to tell you, this weekend, being with these men, it was just so encouraging to hear such authentic stories of struggle and acceptance in the midst of the struggle. It's a beautiful picture of what can be when the church is the church on mission. Sometimes people have asked me, well, how do you do this? How do you let someone like Saeed be a part of your youth group? I mean, doesn't he start to, start to influence people in the opposite direction? I mean, how do you spend time with people with whom you completely disagree? See, we misunderstand that we're supposed to be set apart in our behavior and sent out into relationships. And too often we flip it around. We're set apart in our relationships, even as our behavior matches the world. And so I I had this realization one day. If we want to discover and learn how to reach and love and influence people that are completely disagree with us. All we have to do is consider how do we treat our children? I don't know about you. I have two beautiful, amazing children, plus that third one. I'm just kidding. I only have two kids. But I have these two beautiful and amazing children. But I have to tell you, as much as I love them, when they first entered into our family, they were pagans. Right? Complete heathens. In fact... Scientists have discovered that babies lie as young as six months old. I think my kids were overachievers. My little girl, she's so sweet and so wonderful. She's six years old. Her name is Trevi. And I asked Trevi when she was three years old, I said, Trevi, when you grow up, do you want to be a leader? She looked at me and she said, I already am a leader. Oh my goodness, sorry I asked, right? So then I asked her when she was about four, I said, Trevi, when you grow up, do you want to be president of the United States? She said, yes. I want to be on the dollar. (laughs) She will be a great politician, right? Vain and ambitious. So then my son Caleb was born, uh, was baptized a couple years ago. And and I asked Trevi, I said, Trevi, would you like to follow Jesus? And she looked at me and she said, I already told Jesus I would be his leader. That's not what I was asking. (laughs) 
pray for my daughter. <laughs> my wife and I think she's either going to be like the next Billy Graham or a dictator of a small country. It's going to be, it's going to be one or the other. But you know what's amazing is even as my daughter just exhibited all sorts of crazy behavior and crazy understandings of the world, there was not one meal that we sent her into a room without giving to her. We never kicked her out of our house. In fact, what began to happen is we just kept loving her and serving her and showing her that God loved her. And this summer, she too got baptized as a follower of Jesus instead of a leader of Jesus. And I wonder if, if we were to start to treat the people around us just with love and patience and kindness. You know, in Romans chapter 2, it says that it was God's kindness that led us to repentance. If God's kindness is what led us to turn our lives over to God, shouldn't our kindness be what leads the people around us to follow God? People are incredibly aware that they are sinners, that they are going to be judged by God. But they are unaware that God loves them, that there is grace. You know, I've been a little bit hard on Jonah. There's another verse that jumps out in the midst of this. In spite of his reluctance and even his desire to see these people he hated, destroyed. In verse 3 of chapter 3, After God tells him, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you, Jonah, it says, obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. As hard as I've been on Jonah, Jonah decided to go into the city after he was rescued. If you've been rescued, if you've been saved by God, are you willing to to go into the places of work, schools, and neighborhoods where there are people who disagree, who differ, who perhaps before that you disliked. God wants to use us to show the world that He loves them. Let's pray together. God, thank You so much for this morning and the chance to be with this group. I've been so encouraged, so challenged by my time with them. And I pray, God, that this church would be known by its love, by its willingness to embrace people that look differently, act differently, believe differently. And God, amaze them with the ability that You have to transform people May they see just amazing things as they choose to surrender their lives in serving You by serving others. Thank You, God, for Your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.